This show this morning is stinking ridiculous. It's so good that the opening segment of the show is going to be very short from me. Greg Rakestraw is my name. Hello, how you doing? Thanks for making us a part of your Saturday morning, Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070. The Fan, if you're taking a break from watching Premier League action, getting fired up for the 10 o'clock window of games, that's great. And I think we have a wonderful set of conversations to get you from here to there between now and 10 a.m. In this order... Indy 11 head coach Jurgen Summer, Arlo White of NBC Sports Network, J.P. Della Camera of ESPN Radio, Fox Soccer, Philadelphia Union, New York Cosmos, and George Perry, who played at Indiana University, who played for the Indy Daredevils, who heads up the Indiana Soccer League, and if I read his full resume, that would take up the entirety of the rest of the show. Somehow between now and 10 o'clock, we will fit all four of those conversations onto these radio airwaves, which is why I am shutting up and getting out of the way. Jurgen Summer joins us next. It's Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan. Three. Two and one. Welcome back. It is Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070. The Fan is our 11-minute segment presented by Honda, which means it's time for Jurgen Summer to join us as he does each and every Saturday morning. Coach, again, it is great to talk with you. But again, not the subject matter, so to speak, that we want a tough loss in, in tough and, and tough conditions for both teams last Saturday night. First of all, good morning to you, and, and thanks for joining us. Just kind of tell us how you – how you digested the last one and how you want your team to learn from the 2-1 loss to Ottawa. Hey, Greg, thanks. Always a pleasure to be here. And uh, you know what? It was a uh, it was a great opportunity for us. I thought you know, at, at the end of it, we go back, we look at it as a whole to say, you know what? For the majority of the game, we were really pleased with what we saw, with what we got out of the team. Uh, you know, granted the long wait that we had with the, uh, with the storm delay. But we came out and – still have to say in my mind we felt like we were the better team created the better of the opportunities you know the game just keeps coming back to a couple moments where it, you know special plays define the outcome of the game that uh, I think our guys are learning now how important those moments are in a game and and taking extra special care of the ball or the situation to put ourselves in a position that you know we don't hurt ourselves a little bit so I think that was a point for us that we took away with our guys but when we look at what they created and how they uh, how they carried themselves throughout the game, generally we were really pleased. Well, you've been in the situation that Christian Neekt has been in before where maybe not too many times having to face two penalties in one match as he did. He got to the first one, couldn't stop the second one. But your thoughts about what it meant for your club that early in the game you did not go down early because of the save he was able to make less than 10 minutes in. Yeah, we – you know, we talked to Christian about that and just said, listen, you know, it's very hard for a goalkeeper to win games for us, right? He's He's got to get in there and be a big, sound presence in the goal that he keeps us in games and uh, lets us kind of do our work and chip away to uh, create goals uh, and to get back into the game and, uh, and hopefully win the game. So he very much did that. He came up, you know, even prior to the penalty kick, he stood up very well uh, against a Tom Heineman strike that he saved with his leg. And he turned it around and came back with a penalty kick save, which was great. Uh, really got himself down low quickly, made himself big and long, and, and uh, was fantastic. So, 
you know, that definitely gave us a confidence and the energy to continue to go forward from there. And I think we did, and we showed that through, uh, you know, the remainder of the match. Your thoughts about seeing Jermaine Johnson on the field for the duration of the match, the first chance you've had to have that happen. What can he mean for your club going forward? Yeah, with Jermaine, it's, you know, it's, it's nice to finally have him out there for a full 90 minutes. It's, you know, it's game minutes are hard to come by, you know, from a fitness standpoint, and he really pushed himself through. Uh, you know, put a full game under his belt. He's still probably a couple games, full 90-minute games from being where he wants to be, uh, you know, granted with you know, having to sit out two games. But, you know, we saw what he brings to his table, to the table, his pace, his ability to run at people with the ball. Uh, he's very clever in the final third with his footwork. And, man, if he gets the opportunity to, to get the kind of strike that he's looking for, he can really put a lot of pace on the ball and make it challenging for the goalkeeper. Uh, and I thought their goalkeeper did quite well on two occasions with him, especially in the first half. He really dropped the hammer on one opportunity. And lucky, luckily for the goalkeeper, was this within range that he could get a fist on it because other than that, he wasn't even going to see that ball come by him. When it comes to in the spring season, we talked about how, hey, it, you know, Cleverson and Blake Smith didn't really have a chance to play together because of injuries and, and, and adding a new guy. And now you're kind of to that combination with Jermaine Johnson and Ben Spencer. Can you give us an injury update as to how uh, Ben's rehab is progressing? Uh, Ben's rehab has done great. Uh, our, you know, With our partnership with Community Sports Medicine, uh, Dr. Estes did a fantastic job on his knee, and he's, he's back, uh, back in a full training sooner than we expected. He looks great. He's moving uh, very, very well. Full day of training for him a couple days this week. Uh, again, just working on his fitness, getting him back, but it's nice to have him back and as an option with the group. And I know he's been wanting to get into full training and, and we've kind of put some handcuffs on him for a little while just till we feel like he's had the strength to really go out there and now perform without really giving it much thought uh, to the stability of his knee. But he looks great. Great to have him back. Uh, you know, again, those combinations with with Jermaine and Mike Amersley and, and uh, Blake Smith and a uh, Victor Pineda and so that's all, you know, been taking shape in training and over the games. It's nice to finally have a point. Now we're hitting a stretch where we're going to have all those guys available to us and be able to kind of blend them together on the field. And we kind of look at where we were when we played the Cosmos in the spring away on the road uh, to get the draw there. I thought we did very, very well. And now we, you know, we come home and face them in front of our home crowd. I would say our team is uh, you know, stronger, more experienced, and a little bit better off. I know we lost Brad Ring through his foot injury, which is uh, is really tough for us. Uh, it would be, probably be the only one out of that group now with us. But uh, I think we're getting better as a team, and, and we have some more pieces now to our team that are more threatening. Uh, and now you will add another piece, not for tonight's match against the Cosmos, but going forward, uh, the latest addition, another one-name addition of the group, Julium. Tell us about him. Well, we came across Julian just through uh, just through uh, uh, representatives in the business, and feel like we we're looking for. We needed some more depth up front to give us some balance and uh, to deepen our roster as we get into multiple game situations and towards the end of the season. Uh, he's a great age. He's kind of that mid twenties, mid going into late twenties. So he's had a nice stretch of his career. Uh, I think his size, his athleticism, uh, will help us as well. Um, and for us, it's an opportunity to look into the open market and kind of begin to find some more pieces of our team that we know we need to help balance the group and, and be a little bit more dynamic to help manage an entire season of games and U.S. Open Cup games. So 
Uh, you know, we're excited to get him here. I know he's excited to come. Uh, you know, there's always going to be that, that period of time that we need to kind of to get guys to blend in and kind of get buy into the team, so to speak. I know it took Cleberson a little while longer because of his hamstring injury, but it does take time to get folks settled and into the group and kind of into the groove. So, uh, but I think Julian will jump right in and he'll, uh, he'll offer uh, quite a bit to the Indy 11 straight away. And, and as you can tell, if we're mentioning somebody by one name, that generally means he is of uh, Brazilian origin, but had had recently played in Moldova. And so once again, I tip my cap to you for literally spanning the globe to find the best talent available. You're going to bring back here to Indianapolis. Well, we keep looking and we keep looking and trying to find, uh, you know, strengths and character traits that we think will help us. Uh, what's interesting with any player that's traveled abroad and lived outside their home country, uh, it's not easy to do. I've done it myself. It shows a little bit of testament of character and fortitude to kind of go out and kind of pioneer a little bit and kind of put yourself in an environment where, you know, you're outside your home country and friends and family. And there's there's a real growing up period that comes with that a maturity level that comes with somebody that's willing to do that and have some success so he had success there uh timing wise we found him as a free agent so it it made some sense for us to approach him and uh you know we were lucky i think the relationship with cleverson helped quite a bit you know his name recognition is doing a lot for us uh outside the united states as well uh and you know he becomes an interesting and kind of critical role in the piece as well as we continue to build the team for this year and into the future that, uh, you know, that type of relationship or um, understanding that you have with Cleverson now transitions into other players from Brazil that Brazil's a bit, Brazil is a very big country and a lot of professional football players that kind of span, span the globe. So we've, you know, we've had the opportunity now with Julian to bring them in and, and uh, hopefully benefit from that. Final thing before we let you go again, it is our buddy Jurgen Summer joining us here. It's the 11-minute segment presented by Honda here on Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan. Uh, again, I'll rely on your expertise from your playing days. You are going up against the the backup goalie uh, for New York because their starter got a straight red card, taking a player down in the box early in the match last week. That backup is Kyle Zobeck, who, to his credit, after giving up the early penalty, did not give up another goal for the remaining 80-plus minutes he was on the field. Is that something you take in, into account in terms of, of the scouting report, preparing for this match, knowing you're not playing their number one guy, or does it really not have an effect on how you prepare for tonight's game? You know, it does have a – you know, it definitely is a, a notable mention when we kind of speak to the team. It's, you know, can either go one, you know, one of two ways that, you know, he comes out and – from a lack of uh, just proper match experience, maybe just a little bit uh, not as sharp as he'd like to be, or he's going to come out and just have a worldie of a game because he's finally gotten his opportunity to play and he's going to want to stand on his head a little bit to kind of you know show the rest of the team and the management you know what he's capable of. But you know we will say to our team it's an opportunity with a, uh, a new goalkeeper coming into the team that doesn't have a lot of uh, minutes this season in the league that it's a chance to really go after him and test him and let's see what he's made of. Not, not knowing if it is going to be a weak link for us yet, but it's definitely something, you know, we want to keep in the back of our mind as, you know, we build up our offense or our, uh, you know, opportunities in front of goal. We want to make sure we take them and test them and, and uh, do that as, er as early and as often as possible to really see what we're working with. So yeah, it, it definitely is going to be a piece of the strategy. You know, I would hope that the qualities that we now have and where we are in the season, uh, that we're going to generate enough good opportunities that you know, you know, 
by the by our own work and efforts, we should we should muster quite a few good opportunities on goal that you know we can take credit for our own work. All right, sounds good, Jurgen. As always, thanks for the time, my friend. I'll see you downtown later this evening. Cool, thank you. Again, Jurgen Summer joining us off the top of the show as he does each and every week. Now. Well, we're going to do some globe trotting ourselves. Jurgen's been going to places like Moldova to find talent along with Peter Wilt. We're going straight to the UK because it's match day over there literally as we speak. Joining us next will be a commentator who will be working, oh, about three hours from now for Everton and Chelsea. Arlo White, NBCSN's voice of the Premier League. He joins us next on Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan. Welcome back. It is Soccer Saturday here on 107.5 FM and 1070. The fan match day here in Indianapolis, which means coming up a little bit later tonight. But literally as we speak, there's Premier League action on NBCSN. The 10 o'clock window is coming up at the top of the hour. And the velvet tones that you will be hearing on one of those matches today and sometimes multiple times over the course of the weekend, it is Arlo White, who is the lead announcer for NBC Sports Network for the Premier League, and he is kind enough to join us now over the telephone lines. Arlo, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? Yeah, Greg, very well, thank you. Hello to everybody in Indianapolis. I had a couple of uh, days there last year. My friend, my best man at my wedding, actually lives in Mount Carmel. So I'm trying to get him to get to some uh, Indy 11 games as well. But uh, I'm sure he will do before the end of the season. Listen, if you ever have a have a chance to come to an Indy 11 game, I would graciously step aside of doing the television for like five minutes, ten minutes, maybe the entire game, and just let you go and have at it and, and have a blast doing it. What has this experience been like for you over the couple of years broadcasting the games in England, but doing so for an American audience? It's been really interesting. It's, it's in many ways the dream job because my, my love of America goes back many, many years since the first visit to Chicago to see family when, uh, when I was 13 years old in 1986. I've always revisited. I've seen a lot of the country and I've also followed the, you know, sort of the growth of soccer uh, in the country as well. I coached in the Massachusetts area for Major League Soccer camps back in 96. That was a fantastic summer. Uh, so to get the opportunity to first work in Major League Soccer with Seattle, uh, with the Sounders, and then with NBC, and then with NBC buying the Premier League rights and effectively sending me home um, <laughs> it has, been, has been terrific. So uh, the, it is slightly odd. Um, I think Twitter brings you closer to the audience that you're talking to because you can walk down the street and I can go down to my local shop and local pub. I, I did radio for the BBC for many years, uh, so no one recognizes my face at all, uh, but I do get a bit of feedback on Twitter, and I know that people are watching out there. All right, let's talk about, though, I mean, from a standpoint of do you broadcast it differently because you're talking to an American audience than, say, you would be for a British audience? I don't think so. Um, I might drop the odd word here or there. I might say locker room instead of changing room. <laughs> That's just been brought up, uh, down the years. We're way beyond the, shall we call it, football or soccer debate. I'll, right. I'll call it both and not think anything uh, of saying it. Soccer is, after all, an English word <laughs> that was invented here. Um, so in that, in that respect, no difference at all. It's as if I'm talking to, to an English audience because it's a sophisticated soccer audience out there. And I go back to, to my 
first interest in, in the NFL. I'm a huge NFL fan. I've called five Super Bowls for BBC Radio uh, back in the day uh, when I was still there. And when we first got into the game in the 1980s, sure, you didn't have the internet and, and information was harder to come by. But I, I watched the broadcast. I listened to, to the strains of the armed forces radio and television surface that, that drifted over to England from Germany. And I thought, I've got to find out more about this sport. So it wasn't dumbed down to me. I went and uh, did the legwork and found out about it. So I think anybody that's new to the sport and new to the Premier League, if we catch their interest, if we pique their interest, they can then go away and find out more about it themselves rather than me spoon feed them. I don't think the, the larger American audience needs that. Now, from an NBC Sports Network standpoint, are they having you do just one game a weekend? Are they saying, hey, we're going to pick the best game Saturday, Sunday and Monday? You're doing all those. Tell us about the workload NBCSN has you doing these days. Well, it's, it's two games every weekend. So the workload is, is, uh, is, is pretty intense. But as my dad says, Greg, you're not coal mining. Uh-huh. About it. Um, so normally, um, and this is a, a huge deal for, for NBC and for the Premier League when it comes to expanding the market of the United States. As you know, I think it's 20 games or so per season are on the mothership NBC, right. which is fantastic for us. So the 5.30 kickoff here, I guess that's 11.30 in the morning central time. Uh, on a Saturday morning in the U.S., um, we, we would by and large do that game because it's going to be on NBC. There are times when there's college football on or there's something different on, on NBC and we get moved to NBCSN. Then it opens it up a little bit to whatever is the best game that day. But by and large, 11.30 Central on a Saturday, I'll be doing that game. And then it, it's, it's basically what the best game is throughout the, the rest of the weekend. It, it may be the first game on a Sunday, the second game on a Sunday. But as we had on Monday night, the first titanic t- uh, tussle between two of the, the big boys in the Premier League, we did Manchester City against Liverpool. So pretty much 11.30 set in stone on a Saturday. But then we picked the best game to go to on the Sunday or the Monday. So let me check and see if I can guess the schedule then Everton Uh Chelsea Tottenham Liverpool for you this week correct absolutely spot on you know your onions Greg all right good good to know that I think I know what that means but I'll get a translation at the end of the interview Arlo White like you need to know who that voice is on the other end of the telephone lines with us here on soccer Saturday and 107.5 FM and 1070 the fan uh what has been the feedback on Twitter or walking the streets when folks recognize you across the pond to the return of Ted Lasso People love it. And last time I looked, um, I think it's four million hits for, for that thing. I mean, it was a phenomenon last season. I just thought that from a marketing point of view, it was a masterstroke. And obviously, Jason Sudeikis being a longtime uh, member of the SNL cast, there was some synergy there from an NBC point of view. Um, but those guys took the ball and they ran with it. And it was it was brilliant last year when I got the call to do it this year the dates that were fed three were right in the middle of a summer holiday with the family in Cyprus but I made sure I flew back I got to New York uh, and I and I was a, a part of that thing it was it was just sensational to watch a professional funny man comedian work like that at close quarters for an hour and a half two hours I think it took uh, Rebecca and I uh, to get through our, our stints it was just brilliant to watch him work one of the funniest men I've ever met oh the funniest man I've ever met, but also one of the nicest men I've ever met as well. He was terrific. I would assume you had to have known what was coming and, and known the various topics as far as uh, covering you know, relegation and being happy to learn what that would mean at some point in time, just because you would crack up and it would take at least 30 takes to get stuff done if you didn't know what was coming. Greg, we didn't have a clue. And <laughs> Rebecca and I are, are extremely um, OCD when it comes to pre- preparing for our broadcast. And we were emailing each other in the week before, have you had a script yet? 
do you have any idea what we're doing here? We were just told to be on set, you know, made up in our suits or our dresses at a, at a certain time and, and just try not to laugh. And I managed, somewhat unfortunately for Rebecca, when we're in the studio segments, I just wanted to sit on a step in the corner of the studio out of the way just to, to watch him in action so I knew what to expect. Uh, for my turn. Then I realised very close or very soon in that I was right next to the camera for Rebecca's one shot and I just had to look away for the entire time because I, I had tears streaming <laughs> down my cheeks. It was, I mean, what you see is only about eight minutes long. What's been left on the cutting room floor, so to speak, is about another hour and a half. So hopefully they'll, they'll drip feed a little bit more throughout the season. But it was a phenomenal experience. And like you say, the biggest challenge that day was keeping a straight face. Because he, is, he is hilarious in real life as Ted Lasso. He just raises it another notch. With, without giving it away for those that haven't seen it, do people walk up and ask you to say champions on a regular basis? And does anybody make a reference to L. McPherson or Miles Davis to you? <laughs> well, I'm getting those T-shirts printed. With, uh, <laughs> Ellie McPherson doing something into Miles Davis's trumpet. And yes, I think we're at three or four uh, requests to say champions every day. So it's not done me any harm at all, put it that way. It's great to be a part of it. All right. Now you talk about the fact that you were in Seattle before you made the jump to NBC Sports Network. And one of the things that we hear about Seattle, maybe to a lesser extent Portland, is that, hey, if there is a place like it is over in England, a place like it is in Europe where the passion mm -hmm. is there, the energy is there, it's in the Pacific Northwest. You've lived them both. Is that accurate? It's very accurate. And it's what actually um, uh, enticed me over in the first place. I had some contact with Seattle, uh, actually the Seahawks organization, through my exploits at the, uh, at the Super Bowls. Uh, I've always chatted to those guys over there. And when they started to mention the idea and the notion of, of an MLS team being run out of the same office, called the Sounders, I was immediately interested. They went in a different direction in the first season in the broadcast booth, but they actually got me over to do what was effectively a, a trial run for the first game in franchise history. It was against the New York Red Bulls. I was there in a radio booth just calling a game with a, an audience of zero, uh, but that was for their files for any, any future reference. And I was blown away. I was expecting a decent atmosphere. I was expecting a crowd, you know, maybe up, up around 20,000. And I think 30,000 turned up that night. And they just bellowed and hollered and sang their hearts out all night. And I just remember just having a glass of wine in the hotel afterwards, Greg. No word of a lie. On my own, just kind of decompressing and, and just trying to, trying to filter uh, and process what had happened that night. And I just thought, right there, I want to be a part of this. I want, I could see my future in front of me, leaving the BBC and being part of the Seattle Sounders. And I thought my time there, and it didn't disappoint when I finally got there and got the job for the 2010 and then the 2011 seasons. I was happy there. The family were happy there. It's a wonderful city. That The soccer is tremendous, but it's a great lifestyle as well. And I could see me being there for many, many years. But then NBC came calling, and the career came first. And this, this idea of joining an esteemed uh, organization, an institution like NBC, and doing Olympic Games... That, that really uh, appealed. So we moved over to the East Coast after that to, to Connecticut. And then, of course, you know, fate has, has sent us home. But Seattle and Portland and, and Vancouver as well, terrific hotbeds for soccer in the United States. All right. We're a couple of weeks in, and obviously uh, the third weekend of Premier League action is underway as we speak. It's, it's awfully, awfully early. What have we learned about the Premier League so far to this point of the season? Well, we've learned that Manchester City are a very, very good side. Uh, shocker. <laughs> yeah. you know, they are the champions and they've retooled and they've strengthened in key areas and they've got two world-class players, it seems, for every position. I spoke to Vincent Company during the, uh, the build-up to the season and he says they're feeling good, they're feeling confident. He said every training session they're taking as seriously as games. And one of the new signings said to him, 
is it like this every day? And Vincent <laughs> said, yes, this is the environment we've created here. You know, there are arguments and fights in training. They're all the best of friends afterwards. But they are a bunch of alpha male great players there. And they showed against Liverpool that they probably are going to be the team to beat. My preseason favourite was actually Chelsea. And I'll stick by that because I think it was their title that they threw away last season. Uh, it was their record against the lesser size, the smaller teams. I've actually just got off the call, Greg, no word of a lie, with Jose Mourinho, who spoke to the whole NBC team because we're doing their game live tomorrow. And he said one thing has got to improve this year is our record against the smaller teams. You remember last year, shockingly, they lost at home to Sunderland. They lost to Aston Villa. They drew against Norwich. If they'd have held their nerve against the lesser teams, they would have been the champions, I think, last year. So Man City, Chelsea, the two teams to beat. It just depends for Liverpool how the new players mesh together and will the risk of Balotelli signing, will that pay off or not? Arsenal have got a blow with Giroud's injury, but right. they're always attractive to watch. They seem a bit laboured early in the season. Have they got a plan B? They'll be fighting it out for the top four. And then the two sort of wild cards, I suppose, are Everton and, would you believe, Manchester United. So, but, and, and Spurs. Let's not forget Spurs. So it's a seven-team race, I would say. Two-team race for the title. Seven teams then for, for the top four. But it's uh, it, as ever, it's always fascinating. I'm just glad I didn't disappoint him in conversation knowing that he just talked to Jose Mourinho before he talked to me. A true professional. <laughs> it's Arlo White, Everton and Chelsea, NBC tomorrow, and then on or, or later today, I should say, and then on Sunday, Tottenham and Liverpool. Again, uh, that comes up at 11 o'clock a.m. tomorrow morning. So thanks so much for the time, Arlo. We greatly appreciate it. And, and as always, really enjoy your work. Oh, thanks, Greg, and uh, great to speak to you, and all the best to the 11. Love that conversation right there, and again, um, I'm going to be the third best broadcaster on this show by a long shot today, because not only is Arlo White joining us, but J.P. Della Camera is joining us, and J.P. is about as busy as Arlo these days. We've had him on multiple times talking about the Cosmos, talking about the Philadelphia Union, talking about the World Cup. He's even doing CONCACAF Champions League action. And he will join us next. Again, 11 and Cosmos later tonight, 7.30. Let's keep our fingers crossed about that weather forecast for Carroll Stadium tonight. J.P. Della Camera joins us next. It's Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan. Check this out. You can enjoy some rare free time this time of year. Okay. So here we go, bud. J.P. in three, two, one. We roll along here on Soccer Saturday on 107.5 FM and 1070. The fan, this gentleman, was great to join us when the Indy 11 and New York Cosmos played in May, and you heard him a lot on this radio station during the World Cup run in June and July because he was ESPN Radio's main voice for all World Cup action. It's television for New York Cosmos, television Philadelphia Union, and I even heard him talking about the CONCACAF Champions League earlier this week. It's our buddy J.P. Della Camera that joins us now. J.P., how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Greg. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. And, and let's talk about the, uh, the CCL, the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, those matches kind of take place on a hit-or-miss basis midweek as we're getting that process started up for 2014 and 2015. Just how seriously do the Major League Soccer sides treat this competition? Well, I think they'll tell you they treat it very seriously, but you could question that when you see the lineup. But having <laughs> said that, I think you know these guys know their own teams very well. And, and I don't believe, for argument's sake or for example, you know, the lineup that Mike Petke threw out on Tuesday or Wednesday, was it? Tuesday of this week, the lineup he threw out was without Thierry Henry and without other starters. But he did have Tim Cahill in there, and he had some other 
very good players on that squad. He also has a game against D.C. United coming up this weekend, and he played on the weekend before. So, you know, he knows his team better than anyone. So the fact that he didn't have his best 11 out there, to me, doesn't tell the whole story because he knows what he's dealing with with injuries. Same with the weekend before, the week before, when, when Caleb Porter must have sent, uh, I think it was seven of his starters back home right? and went with reserves for the most part. But he still had some experienced guys out there. And, and they won handily, as I recall, 4-1 in that game. And, and D.C. United played some guys that I even had to do extra homework for because I'm thinking, <laughs> who's that guy? But they still win the game, you know, one to nothing, and, and prepare themselves for, for what lies ahead. So I think they'll, they'll tell you that they're treating it seriously. Just don't go by the starting lineups because – there's not as much depth on these teams as some would like you to believe. Sure. And I think that they're playing the best lineup that they can, not for that one game, but for the three games in seven nights or three games in eight or ten nights or whatever they're dealing with in the MLS season. Now, was Portland the team that played the game on what was the cricket field? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, the field, you know what? We did it off the monitor. Right. Uh, the pictures that I saw, I thought the whole field was going to look like a cow pasture and dirt. <laughs> there was only one bad spot right. on the field. So I think maybe it was it was maybe much ado about nothing, but it makes me wonder, you know, what the field was like in in was it Belize for for one of those teams that Concacaf said they had a field that wasn't wasn't deemed playable. So it makes you wonder, cosmetically, you know, what that other field may have looked like. But the field wasn't a big problem. I don't remember uh, post game hearing players complain about it, and certainly Portland wouldn't be complaining about it because they won rather handily by the scoreline anyway. Well, I get, I get kind of a big kick out of the European teams when they come over here, do not want to play on the field turf or the sprint turf, the newer higher and AstroTurf fields that we have here. Yeah, but I see them playing games in Major League Baseball stadiums. I realize NYF, NYCFC is going to be playing you know, at, at Yankee Stadium next year. I'm like, guys, you're either playing on, on infield dirt or you're playing on sod just on top of infield dirt. Yeah. That can't be that great either. Yeah. I, you know, players always complain about that, and I, I understand. You know, turf is, is apparently very, very hard on your legs, and I think the older you are and the more miles you have, and now you see a lot of these guys like Terry Henry doesn't even play on turf. And, and the only turf uh, that I've ever heard anyone say is really good field turf is in Portland. And, and people have said, you know, it's, it's not great, but it's the best that we have. You know, so what does that mean, technically? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's the best we have, but it's not great. So, I mean, it is what it is. And whether it's CONCACAF, Major League Soccer, you have to deal with, with whatever is in front of you. And, you know, having said that, let me just say something else to you about CONCACAF Champions League. I know that uh, NASL's Commissioner Bill Peterson is an advocate of this. And he should be. I think the NASL should get a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League next year automatically. I don't think it should be uh, um, having to win the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup to get you there. I think that the at least the NASL overall champion should be given a berth. They would be much better than some of the clubs that we see in that competition from, from countries where, where the caliber of play isn't up to par with some of the rest of the other leagues in CONCACAF. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, the New York Cosmos, the opponent tonight for the Indy 11. Uh, the, the success has not followed from the spring season to the fall season. Six wins in the spring, just two in the fall, just three goals allowed in the spring, significantly more in the fall. What has changed here for the Cosmos, JP? Uh, the one thing that's changed, Greg, and it's not really personnel so much, they just stopped scoring. 
Mm. I mean, Matt's, Matt Stokelin went eight games before he scored a goal. And they were getting looks. It's not like that they weren't getting chances at all. You know, they were getting plenty of looks. They just were not finishing. So that's been the biggest problem. I think defensively, with the exception of one game, they were still a very strong team. But the only two guys that were scoring goals this year, and, and they weren't scoring many as it was, was Stokelin and Guenzati. And that's it. So when, when that dried up and Guenzati now I think it's five, it was five games going into the last game without a goal and he didn't score either. You know, you look at their two best, arguably their two best attacking players, and between them just the one goal over maybe a 13-game stretch. When it comes to the kind of the New York soccer landscape, you know, you've got Red Bull there, which Cosmos beaten U.S. Open Cup play 3-0 back in, 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 in or June, I believe. You've got the new side coming in at NYCFC that has the Manchester City ties, and you've got the Cosmos. How do they kind of fit into the New York City soccer landscape? I'm not sure what the end game is for, you know, for any of these clubs. I mean, there's always rumors about the Red Bulls being for sale. That's been denied. You know, New York City FC is going to play temporarily, at least at, at Yankee Stadium. They still don't appear to be any closer to getting their own stadium. The Cosmos have a stadium proposal right with the politicians. And maybe the last time you and I spoke, I'm not sure if we touched on that, but it was in the same position that it's in now. No, no answers, no nothing. So, you know, I think the Cosmos do need a stadium. With all due respect to Hofstra, it's, it's not as good of a facility location-wise, uh, you know, comfort-wise, stadium-wise, as, as that team needs. So I think that's the first thing that they need. I, either, either solidify that new stadium or, you know, find another place maybe where, where you could attract a, a bigger following. You know, they, they should be at least drawing, you would think, what, what a team like Indy 11 or drawing, you know, right. with all the hard work and success you guys have had, that's fantastic. But I'm just thinking about the population of Indianapolis compared to that area in New York. You would think that the Cosmos would do better. So I think a new stadium would help them. I've always said three teams in New York, even three teams in MLS, that's fine for me because one team is really New Jersey, whether the Red Bulls want to <laughs> say it or not. They're New Jersey. Uh, new York City FC is going to be what it is, a city team. And then you'd have the Cosmos on Long Island. So I think there's plenty of room there. All right. When you're seeing MLS these days, for the most part, you are seeing uh, the Philadelphia Union. Let's ask you about the local kid first. Ray Gaddis uh, is an Indianapolis kid. We had the pleasure of talking to him about a month or so ago on the show. Talk about the season that Ray has had for the club to this point. Ray has been the team's most complete defender mm -hmm. all season. Most consistent, most complete all season. You know, you could count on one hand the number of bad games that he's had, and you have several fingers left over. That's how good he has been. He's been very dependable. Uh, Jim Carton, the interim manager of the team, called him the other day the best one-on-one -on -one shutdown defender in, in the league. And I never thought about it that way. And Jimmy's a far better person to, to get that opinion from as a coach than, than as someone like myself, a broadcaster. But it sounds like it has a lot of credibility coming from Jim. I, I think Ray's had a terrific year. He leads the team in minutes. And last year, you know, when the team would be trailing in games and they needed to make a move, Ray would be the one that they would take out, maybe go with three in the back. This year, that's not happening. He's the last guy they're taking out, like I said, leading the team in minutes played. And those are quality minutes. You know, he's, he started, actually, he started every game. 
So much of the attention seemingly in, in MLS these days is going towards the West Coast, whether it's the rabid fan bases in, in Portland and Seattle, the swan song for Landon Donovan with the LA Galaxy. Who in the eastern half, so to speak, of the MLS should be catching fans' attention right now? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the east is, is wide open. You know, as we speak right now, four, five, six, Philadelphia's in seventh place, and I actually think they're going to make the playoffs. They're in seventh place right now. I'm not sure, you know, who's going to be dropping, but they've got six of their final nine games at home, and they've been playing very well under Jim Curtin. They've only lost twice in their last nine under Curtin. Mm -hmm. So I I think Philadelphia is going to get into the playoffs. That's my thought right now. Um, I don't know if it's Columbus that drops, New York, New England. I'm, I'm surprised, to be honest, that New York has not made a player move or two. New England surprised us all with Jermaine Jones. That's a huge signing. Toronto is in a very good spot, and they've also played a couple of less games than the two teams in front of them. And next week, Philadelphia has not seen Toronto all season. They play them twice next week, Wednesday and Saturday. And in the past, when you played Toronto, it was only a big game for you. <laughs> now it's a big game for Toronto, too. So and I, I, I said before the season started that Toronto was going to make the playoffs, and, and I still... I still will stick with that. Now, you give me Julio Cesar in not particular order, uh, Defoe and, uh, and Michael Bradley in that group, they should be a playoff team, JP. Yeah. And, and Julio Cesar left, but they have Bendick there, yep. and, and that's fine. Uh, and Defoe's been hurt, too, and, and Bradley missed time with the World Cup. So I think it's, I think it's more, more impressive. We talked about some of the other players that they had picked up, like Jackson earlier and uh, Morrow, and there are a few other guys that were maybe – under-the-radar pickups, but but it added to the team's depth. But when you figure out the number of games that Defoe has missed, Julio Cesar when he was playing at the World Cup, mm-hmm. and, and now he's out, and, and Michael Bradley, you figure out all the games that those guys have missed, and they're still sitting in third place in the Eastern Conference. That's a job well done to me. J.P. Della Camera joining us. Again, he's got an NASL gig with the New York Cosmos, the MLS gig with the Philadelphia Union, and amazingly, a weekend off this weekend, yet he still spends time with us as always, JP. I greatly appreciate it. I can't believe I have the weekend off. I wish I was <laughs> doing the game, actually, because I think Cosmos and Indy, especially with the atmosphere that you guys have at that stadium, uh, I think it's it's electrifying. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, still no home wins, right, for Indy 11? Right. we got a U.S. Open Cup win uh, against the Dayton squad back in May, but in terms of NASL league competition, uh, we are eight for eight in terms of sellouts, or I guess maybe nine for nine at this point, and zero oh and nine in terms of wins. Yeah, so that's, that's surprising, but uh, you know that you haven't won at home yet. But the fan base is obviously very loyal, and Peter has done it. Peter Wilt has done a very right. good job, like I, everybody knew he would. So the fans are coming, and at some point, you know that's going to be a very difficult place for visiting teams. No doubt about that. JP, as always, thanks for the time, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Anytime, Greg. See you. Love our conversation with J.P. Delacamera. He's become a regular on this program and certainly a voice that needs no introduction if you're a soccer fan such as myself. Before we go any further, a couple of quick thank yous we want to throw out on behalf of the Indy 11 organization for some of the great programs and work that they do. There are the Kicks for Kids program, and there's the Military Appreciation Nights, and there's a couple of groups that are a part of that this evening. The folks at Community Health Sports Medicine have provided 250 tickets, and a lot of those will be used by high school players this evening, a chance to, as their season is just underway, 
to watch and see how the pros do it. So thanks to the folks from Community Health and Sports Medicine providing those. And the folks from Monarch Beverage have bought 125 tickets for tonight's game, and those will go to military members and their families. Thanks to both of those organizations for those contributions tonight. And again, you can sponsor either one of those groups for any of the four home games that are going forward. Log on for more information at Indy11.com. George Perry joins us next. We celebrate Soccer Heritage Night this evening and hopefully an Indy 11 win. He'll join us to wrap up the show in just a moment. It's Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan. Welcome back. Final time this morning on Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan. Tonight is match night. You've heard me say that several times over the course of this hour. Indy 11, New York Cosmos. That in and of itself gets top billing. But I think a really cool thing the Indy 11 are doing is honoring kind of those that have helped blaze the trail for the sport in this state. It is Indiana Soccer Heritage Night, and our next guest, he's only been involved in the sport for four decades here in the state of Indiana. These days, he is the commissioner of the Indiana Soccer League, and oh yes, he is the NSCAA president. And if you're a college soccer type, you know exactly what that is. It is George Perry that joins us now. George, thanks for the time. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks very much for having me on. All right, let's talk about the, the the two current job titles before we take the walk down memory lane. Tell us about the Indiana Soccer League. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, they decided to uh, bring all the regional leagues around the state under the umbrella of the state association and uh, under the kind of the request of the uh, directors of coaching of many of the clubs around the state. They, uh, I guess, we're just looking for an old guy that's played a little bit of soccer and coached a little bit of soccer. So somehow my name came up. And, uh, and so uh, I've been fortunate enough to uh, come back to Indiana, uh, and in particular with the Indiana Soccer Association. And uh, this fall, we're you know, overseeing about 800 teams play, and in the spring it'll be about 1,200 teams around the state. If that wasn't so, enough, you're now the president of the National Soccer Coaches Association of America. Tell us about that. Well, the National Soccer Coaches Association has been around since about 1941, and we are you know, presently the, the largest coaches association in the world. Um, and what's unique about us, I think, to other sports is that uh, coaches of U6 through high school, through college and pro are all part of what we do. And we, we have an annual convention that will often bring in uh, five and 6,000 coaches. Our membership is around uh, 35,000 or so now. Uh, so it's exciting with that. So I've been on the board of directors for a number of years, and uh, I have, uh, you know, the privilege of being the president for this year. And we're you know, doing a lot of nice things with coaching education, events for uh, the soccer community around the country, and, and even internationally. I was fortunate to go on a tour that the NSCA sponsored to Europe uh, in the time of the first timing of the first round of the World Cup. So I was in uh, Holland, wow. Belgium, Germany, and uh, uh, in France, and, and and watching games, you know, kind of live with the people from their countries, which was uh, pretty good, almost as good as what was happening here in Indianapolis with the. Uh, outdoor shows when they were watching the games uh, downtown well the thing is i noticed that of all of the countries you mentioned all of them had really good r- runs in the world cup i think i would sell your service as a good luck charm for 2018 george <laughs> i would i'd be happy to if anybody wanted to buy into that statement <laughs> we've got it on tape we can prove it so so we'll, we'll get together four years from now on that um all right soccer heritage night what does it mean to you that, that the Indy 11 have said, this is the direction we want to go in, we want to recognize those that have been here before us? 
Well, I think it's I think it's pretty exceptional, and I think that's one of the reasons why Indy 11 is being so successful right now is the fact that, uh, you know, under the guidance of Peter Wilt, they have really gotten into the community. Uh, they're trying to buy, get the soccer community, and they are, uh, buying into what uh, Indy 11 is trying to offer, not only on the field, but what they do in the community for us. And that certainly is something that's uh, not unique to Indiana, but certainly part of what Indiana soccer is all about for the different colleges, the clubs, the high schools. It's, it's the history of, of soccer in the state. And uh, certainly one who was able to, you know, be on one of the earlier teams that was there uh, with the Indy Daredevils. Um, it's it's exciting to me that they're, that they're bringing this up, and hopefully we're going to make this a, a fairly regular event, and I'll look forward to hopefully seeing more teammates in the future at uh, at other Heritage Nights. Well, I, this is what what is cool that I'm that I'm glad we're bringing this up because I was around on kind of the fringes of the Indiana Blast, and from the indoor standpoint, the Indianapolis Twisters. So I, I have a a remembrance, a working knowledge of of some of the players and what those teams were about. The Daredevils are just kind of a, a an historical footnote to me. For those that don't know, tell us about the Indy Daredevils. Well, the Daredevils got started uh, as far as the team in Indianapolis concerned in, in 78, and that's when I was coming out of uh, Indiana University as a player, and I had the opportunity to uh, to sign with them. And in that, unfortunately, the team itself only lasted two years uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, but interesting, the first year in 1978, we were actually led the league, the American Soccer League at that time, which had franchises in uh, out on the East Coast, um, out on the West Coast and all around, uh, but we led the league in attendance at that time. So even back in the, in the you know late 70s, uh, Indianapolis itself was very supportive of soccer at the time. Unfortunately, it didn't have quite the structure that uh, Indy 11 has certainly brought to the table uh, this year. And I know, you know, probably more experience about that. I was out of, out of the state uh, when all the indoor teams were playing. So not as familiar with the, you know, the structure that they all had. Just your thoughts about this has always been a great soccer state from a youth standpoint and certainly from a collegiate standpoint, and you played uh, with Indiana uh, under Jerry Eagley back in the 70s, so you know all about that. But I, I think for even those of us that have, I don't have the connection to it that you do, obviously, but even I consider myself something of a soccer guy, and, I, and, and, and when these numbers were being announced for season tickets last fall, I'm like, my goodness, this is amazing. And seeing what the crowds are like every Saturday, I am still floored by it. As a guy that's poured his life into it for the last four decades, what's it like for you to see 10,000 every Saturday night at Carroll Stadium downtown? No, it, it, it's so exciting. I mean, not only exciting watching it in person, which I've been to as many of the games as I possibly can, but a few times I've caught the game uh, live on television, which is even better. <laughs> I mean, in the sense of the fact that we, we have that kind of coverage of, of soccer here. Uh, you know, back in my days at Indiana, I can remember Don Ross, who works with Indiana Sports Properties up at Grand Park. Um, he and I used to go under, uh, go into every dorm every night and uh, put flyers in the door trying to get people to come to our games in those days. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I know what the foot soldiers are like to try to get people to come to games. And I certainly appreciate all the work that, uh, you know, Peter Wilt and his staff have done to really grow this game in a positive way. And, and that's getting into the youth market, you know, making sure it's an attractive thing, having the players interact with the community. Um, they're doing it all the right ways, but that's kind of the way things are done in Indiana, I think. Let's kind of, again, we talk about the foundation has been laid in terms of youth players and fans and great high school players and college players, et cetera, and now you've got the professional level that is here. Now what does the professional level mean going back in the other direction? What can the success of the Indy 11 mean for the younger and grassroots level of sport, George? <laughs> 
well, certainly when the players come out there and watch, they're able to, you know, see, you know, players that are from our community that are playing on this team, you know, the A.J. Grottos and um, Jurgen, who's coaching from, from Indiana, uh, you know, all, all the other players, uh, you know, uh, from Indiana that are there. And they say, you know, they can honestly say, this could be me someday uh, playing at that level and, and aspiring to be that. Uh, for nothing else, it gives the coaching uh, community an opportunity to learn from watching the games, from analyzing. We all have our opinions of how this game goes or that game goes, but that's that's where education comes from, and that's where learning takes place is when we have these conversations. So from the players themselves to the coaches, staff, to the to the families that are learning and appreciating games, uh, uh, so many people that I sit around and I sit in different parts of the stadium at different games, and you hear some very novice people that are out to the game for the first time, uh, the way they can appreciate it, the language might be, not, might not be the soccer lingo that we're that some of us are used to, uh, but it's it's fun to listen to them talk about the game and, and and learn about the game. Again, joining us is George Perry. You will see him later this evening, being honored as part of Indiana Soccer Heritage Night, but also as part of our post game show on My Indy TV. He and a buddy of mine and Steve Franklin are going to join us during the course of the post game show, and very much looking forward to doing that. George, thanks for the time, and uh, looking forward to seeing you this evening, my friend. Take care. Thank you. What a show. That'll wrap it up for today's edition of Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan. One thing that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet and want to get to it here, you saw maybe the qualifications for the UEFA Champions League earlier this week, then the draws that came out earlier this week. All these groups are absolutely loaded, some a bit more than others. We'll focus on the ones involving the Premier League teams. Liverpool ends up with Real Madrid, Basel, and Ludogorets of Bulgaria. You think between Liverpool and Basel as to who joins Real into the knockout stages. And Group D is where Arsenal will be. They've got Dortmund, Galatasaray from Turkey, and Anderlecht from Belgium. Again, a chance for Arsene Wenger's team to make it at least into the round of 60, maybe even winning that group. Moving on to Group E. This would be the group of death this year in the UEFA Champions League. Bayern Munich, Man City, Moscow, and Roma will be the teams in that group. Man City's good. So is everybody else in that group. Two really good clubs are going home after the group stages. And finally in Group G, Chelsea, Schalke, Sporting from Portugal, and Maribor from Slovenia. Again, you think that uh, Jose Mourinho's club... They're not too far removed from being Champions League winners a couple of years ago. That group probably helps get them into that direction. Certainly, there's a lot of quality sides across Europe, but just kind of noting where the Champions League uh, draws took place earlier this week. And when that resumes, it's going to be fun to watch those teams duke it out uh, for UEFA domination, not just in English Premier League action. Of course, there is a window of six games about to take place that will start at the top of the hour, and we were so thankful that Arlo White took the time to join us this morning. He has the call of Chelsea and Everton, which is going to be on WTHR Channel 13, beginning at 12.30. You can also hear his work on Tottenham and Liverpool tomorrow at 11 o'clock on NBCSM. I may not have those golden velvety tones that Arlo does, I'll do my best. I don't have the tones that J.P. Della Camera does either, for that matter. I'll do my best to channel those two guys when the 11 are in action tonight against the New York Cosmos. Television coverage begins at 7.30 on MyNDTV23. If you do not have your tickets, then hopefully you'll be there for the television broadcast tonight. We'll do this again next Saturday morning. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been Soccer Saturday, 107.5 FM and 1070 The Fan.